All right, praise the Lord. I always kind of have a few things that the Lord puts in my spirit ahead of time. But this particular week, he woke me up in the middle of the night, and he gave me uh, the text scripture I'm about to read. And when he did that, he not only gave me the text scripture, but he gave me an outline, and he told me the title of the message, which is Reality Check. I was like, oh, I say, like, no, you didn't. <laughs> but anyway, the Lord said, reality check. And he took me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. And it's a very, it's a long chapter, amen? So I'm not going to read the entire thing, but basically I'm going to read two sections of that chapter. So the first part is Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. And then I'm going to jump down to verses 69 through 75. Amen? All right, so Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Then saith Jesus, Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then going down to verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and the damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, for placing on my heart what you have for me to share today. And we thank you, Lord, that your word will permeate our hearts and minds. Let us, Father, have the capability to examine ourselves. And if there's anything that uh, you reveal to us through your word today, we praise and thank you, Father, that it would equip us, that it would strengthen us that it would motivate and guide us. We thank you, Father, for your peace. And even in the times, Father, that you may reprove us, we thank you for your love and the the compassion that you had to continue to mold and refine us to be more and more in your likeness. We just thank you and give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything you're doing in our lives. And once again, we pray that none of us would leave out exactly the same way that we are, but that we would feel that we had a personal audience with the King of glory. And we thank you, praise you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. As I said, the title of this message is Reality Check. And Jesus, as he was talking to them, you notice that he says, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. He did not say that there was any person that was exempt from this. Matter of fact, if you think about the disciple that was considered the beloved one, John, Jesus didn't say everybody but John shall be offended at me tonight. He said, all of ye 
shall be offended tonight. But Peter, as we see here, you know, Peter was the one that seemed to be the loud mouth, always had something to say, always was getting rebuked for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Jesus is, I'm sorry, Peter, as usual, had to get up and say, oh, no, not me. Not me, never me. I'll never defy you or deny you, Lord, even if it costs me my life. But Jesus clearly said, all of you are going to be offended at me this night. Now, the word offended is not just I'm offended with you because you said something wrong or you said something that or, or did something I didn't like. The word offended means to be entrapped, caused to stumble or tripped up in the underlying Greek. So he was saying several things, and really, if you think about the condition of mankind and the fact that all of us are subject to sins and transgressions, when he said that all of you are going to be caused to stumble tonight, and a lot of you, even in my midst, are going to flee in terror, they didn't realize or wouldn't want to accept the fact that that was in them. But the reality that they did not want to accept what he was saying did not change the fact that it was genuine and it was accurate. So the question is not whether or not uh, they heard what he said, or they disagreed, or they liked it, or felt good, or it made them angry. The reality is, he was trying to express to them what was about to occur, but instead of just hearing that and accepting it as it was, Peter, as usual, had to step up and say, no, 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 not I. Amen? <laughs> I'm not the one. All these other guys around here, they'll turn on you, they'll flee, they'll act like cowards, but me... I'm a mighty man. He's probably pumping his chest and saying, I'm going to go down with the ship. Amen. No way will I ever betray you. But as we see here in our text scripture, each one of them had followed him closely. But just because you follow somebody closely doesn't necessarily mean that you're in for everything that you're going to endure. Amen. And a lot of times we may say, whether it's in our relationships with people or our relationship with God himself, that I'm in this do or die, or as this world system says with these youths, ride or die. Amen. Ride or die. <laughs> I'm in this until the end. Nothing's going to ever make me turn my back on you. But the reality is there's one thing, one difference between saying something and truly meaning it and living it out when the stakes are at their highest. Amen. And what Jesus was really trying to express that day is that he saw something in each one of them, not something that he was necessarily wanting to embarrass them about or rebuke them over, but he saw something in each one of them that was going to cause them to turn their backs on him that night. Amen? And we have to examine ourselves and say, is there something in us as well? You know, is there something in us that makes us deny Jesus or distance ourselves from our Lord? Amen. It's very easy for us to stand our ground, to dress the right way, to say the right things, to jump up when we're supposed to, sit down when we're supposed to. But when you're in the trenches and you're dealing with life and death situations, how closely are you attached to your Lord and Savior? Are you just as bold? Are you just as confident? Or do you do like Peter and you start denying or denouncing? Do you start change your behavior. We see here that he went from a person that first denied the fact that he was associated with Jesus to a person that swore he didn't know Jesus. Amen. <laughs> then he finalized it with totally changing his character and he started cursing like a sailor to prove that I'm not one of those righteous people that was attached to this guy that they're now trying to execute. How far are we willing to go? Amen. 
trying to disassociate ourselves with something that makes us uncomfortable or with God himself when the stakes are at their highest. Do you compromise? Do you deny? Do you lose your character in Christ? What do you do when the stakes are at their highest? So as we see here, uh, they had followed him closely, side by side, went through hardships, confrontations with the religious leaders, chased out of town, criticized for their practices, you know, eating the showbread, all these different things that they did throughout the New Testament that we see. But now they were at the place where the greatest of challenges was about to face them. And like I said, Peter thought he was all in. Amen. Matter of fact, some people might say at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he jumped up to cut off the man's ear, that he was all in. But was he really in until death? Or was, was he possibly provoked by what Jesus said earlier about him denying him, and that made him act out and be the first one to strike violently? What was the thing that was in Peter, and what are the things within us that, similar to Peter, he didn't want to admit until it faced him square in the face where he couldn't hide from it, and it made him weep bitterly? What are the things that are in us as well that we might say, I'm totally on board with you, Jesus, but yet when reality smacks us right in the face, maybe we're not at his side. Maybe we're not as bold. Maybe that profession of faith doesn't sound as genuine or as powerful. Now, one of the first problems we see in the life of Peter is that he had faults that he couldn't admit. Amen? Faults. Like I said earlier, he had, you know, what most people would call a big mouth. A lot of people might have saw him as a braggart. Some of the people might say he gets on my last nerve running his mouth all the time. And you even see here in our text scripture that the first person that said something was Peter. Everybody else might have been sitting there saying, you know what, Jesus is right. I don't know if I'm ready to to die for this thing. Or maybe I will be offended at him tonight. But basically, Peter put them all on the spot by being the first one, as usual, to jump up and say, I'll never deny you. And then we see here that after he said it, likewise also said the other disciples. Amen? So are we similar in that, that we have faults that we can't admit? I truly believe that one of the things that was in Peter was a sense of arrogance or pride as, as it was in speaking without thinking a lot of times. Because he didn't say, no, Jesus, none of us will ever betray you. He said, I will never be offended. I will never deny you. And we know any time we put I into something... And start making professions that we may not be able to keep. We have a sense of pride that is already opened up the door for us to go into trouble. Amen. And spiritual attack. So we have to be very careful about that. Like I said, Jesus warned Peter and the other disciples that all will be offended at him. But Peter said that this feeling could never happen in his case. One of the things he didn't realize is that Jesus was actually prophesying. Not only something was occurring, but something that would happen exactly in the manner that he said it. Amen? Matter of fact, he even said that you'll deny me, and upon the third time, the crow itself, you know, the rooster, as we were saying in this day and age, is going to crow at the exact moment after you do it the third time. But yet, he refuted the, the notion of that, even after him seeing the personal witness of Jesus going around day by day by day performing miracles. 
He saw the discernment that Jesus had in him when he came across people like Nathaniel and said, oh, a man in which there's no guile. But all of a sudden, the same Jesus that could walk in power and truth and discernment over everybody else, when it dealt with talking to him directly and saying, here's what I see in you, all of a sudden, Jesus has lost his discernment. <laughs> or at least in his perspective. Amen? <laughs> so one of the first things the Lord placed on my heart regarding this and how it relates to us is Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in, him, in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. All right, one of the things you see here, if any man be overtaken in a point, in a fault rather, that means to be surprised. <laughs> you ever been surprised by the faults that are within you? Or do you take the time to truly evaluate yourself and say, okay, here's my pros, here's my cons, Here's the areas in which I am strong, and here's the areas in which I am weak, or I need a lot of work. Amen? We see here, according to the Word of God, that we have to be careful that we don't walk around on this cloud or in this fantasy world where everything's okay with me. I don't have any areas in my life that need to be refined or changed. I don't have any weaknesses. There's nothing that I need to revise or fix or perfect. I'm just cool. Nothing in me needs to change. Because when we take on that mindset, we see here that it basically opens the door for us to stumble. Amen? So God tells us, don't sit back and set yourself up where you can fall. He said, evaluate yourself, have a spirit of meekness, and realize that, yeah, I might have some strengths in me or some things that are good, but everybody has areas in which they need to be perfected. So be thankful for the areas where you're walking in God and spirit and truth and in power, but don't be so cocky and arrogant about them that you say, I don't have to watch out on the areas in which I'm flawed. Amen? Because it's those very areas that will ta target you and try to set you up for your downfall. And a lot of times you'll notice that. The enemy is smart enough that he won't sit there and attack you in the areas in which you're strong. But he'll find those little areas where there's chinks in your armor and you notice that the attacks will hit exactly in those spots of your life. Some people, it's mental things. Some people, it's physical things. To everybody that is under the sun, we all have our different strengths and weaknesses in areas in which we may not be able to handle things. So we cannot sit here and say the devil is going to necessarily attack everybody the same way. Everybody has different chinks in their armor, but you need to know yourself well enough to realize that the very areas that you're weak in, those are the ones you need to guard the most through prayer, through study the word, through application of the word. And a lot of times you have to find ways in which you can encourage yourself and build yourself up in your strength when those areas are attacked. Amen? And that's why the, that's why the, the Lord warns us here, don't sit back and think you've got everything figured out. He says, beware that you be overtaken in a fall. Amen? What he means by being overtaken is that you're walking around, oh, everything's cool, and all of a sudden, bam, you just run over like an animal out there on the road struck by a car. Just bam, plowed over with a fall. And God wants us to all examine ourselves and, 
they showed Allen Iverson retired this week. One of the things he was known for saying is keeping it real. God wants all of us to keep it real and say, these are the areas where I'm strong in you. These are the ones that I need a lot of prayer, a lot of focus, a lot of study of your word, meditation upon your word, and application. Because, Lord, I'm a mess in this area. But when you try to sit there and pretend that everything's fine and you're just perfect in Christ with no flaws, that's the times when the enemy will set you up and the enemy will just plow you over when you least expect it. Amen? So God wants us to have a sense of meekness, as we see here, humility, and as it says here, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Amen? You need to watch yourself. Sometimes you need to avoid things that you know have a pull on you. There's certain things in your life that try to attach themselves to you. There's things that go through your family tree sometimes. That's why sometimes you'll see drug addiction, alcoholism, some families, you see a pattern of divorce or, or a contention that seems to travel around from person to person to person. These are the sort of things that you have to know in and of yourself or ask God to reveal to you so that instead of being overtaken, you're on guard knowing that something might try to come in from the back and sucker punch you. Amen? So avoid being overtaken in a fault. Now, one of the things we see here, Further down, it says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. First thing I want to talk about about that is that if you look at this the wrong way, it almost makes it sound like if you have any self-esteem or you have confidence in yourself that it's boastful and it's arrogant and it's inappropriate. That's not what it's saying here. When it's talking about when a man thinks he's something, it's talking about you have your shoulders up, too high, your chest out too far, your, your nose up too high in the air, and you're thinking you're all that in a bag of chips. So this is not just having your normal, balanced self-esteem in Christ. We should all have that. This is talking about when you're full of yourself and it borders on arrogance and you think you're so good that nothing can undermine you. So God is warning us here. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And that word deceive. Deceiveth in the underlying Greek means to delude or to be a mind misleader. (laughs) Think about that, to be a mind misleader. And the thing that's terrible about this is that the enemy is not the one who has tricked you. Nobody in your life has pulled you astray or entrapped you or manipulated and controlled you. It says, if you think you are something when you are nothing, you get too proud or too big in your britches, as the world has been known to call people, you deceive yourself. You delude or you become a mind misleader to yourself. So when you stumble, basically, you can't blame the devil. You can't blame people in your life that try to manipulate and control you. You can't blame the company that you keep or the places that you go. When you get to the place where you're so perfect in your own eyes that you don't have any area in which you think you could stumble, that's where it says you have misled yourself. So you have no one to blame but me, myself, and I. Amen? And this was the problem with Peter. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was trying to tell him the truth about himself, but he was so misled about his capabilities and what his flaws were or weren't that He couldn't even hear the Savior himself trying to warn him in advance for the stumble that he's about to to undergo. So Jesus himself couldn't get into his head. Amen? And we got to ask ourselves, 
As we're going on a daily basis and we're dealing with various situations, good, bad, trials and tribulations, is God trying to speak to us as well? And we're sitting there the whole time saying, no, no, not me, Lord. I'll die if necessary, but I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never betray you. I'll never do this or that. And God is trying to tell us over and over and over again warnings that are meant to protect us from ourselves, and yet we're sitting there, nope, I didn't hear that right. Nope, I don't receive it. I don't receive it. Couldn't happen to me. You may be deluding yourself. (laughs) Amen. And like I said, you are a mind misleader. Fooling yourself in your mind. Forming fantasies in your head. Making yourself and creating for yourself a reality that doesn't even exist. But yet, it's become real to you. But the problem is, a lot of times, the world will do things that will eventually expose the fact that your fantasy is not accurate. It's better, though, if we can learn these things before we have to suffer any kind of embarrassment or setbacks. Now, one of the things the Lord placed on my heart as well is that Peter, as we saw in our text scripture, ran his mouth (laughs) as usual and said, nope, not me. All will be offended except for me. Everybody might deny you except for me. And if necessary, I will stay by your side and I will die. Amen. That's what we call in this current day day and age as writing a check with your mouth that you can't cash. And that's exactly what he did. He wrote a check, a big one, at your side, permanently, do or die, live or die. He wrote a big check with his mouth. But when the enemy came in and said, time to pay, the check bounced. (laughs) And that man was out of there (laughs) denying, swearing (laughs) that he didn't know Jesus and even cursing to say he didn't know him. He wrote a check with his mouth that he couldn't cash. We have to ask ourselves, are we doing similar things? Amen. Are we making professions of faith that aren't genuine? I remember in the Old Testament, they used to be scared of the Israelites when they would be on the horizon coming into new territory because they would hear them singing and they would hear their drums beating and they would say, oh, those are those people of God. The signs, miracles, and wonders follow. And if we try to fight them, we'll be decimated. But then there came a day where they were coming and they heard the singing, they heard the drum beats, and they're like, There's something different with the sound. Amen? And the Israelites got defeated because they were not right before the presence of God, and they ended up being defeated. So when you're speaking and professing faith and saying, I trust God, is it an empty drumbeat, or is there something behind that that will back up the things you say? Are you saying things that are genuine and in your heart of hearts that you would truly stand the test of time with, do or die? Or are you saying things while things are good, and when bad times hit, Your mouth is closed. In James 5, 10 through 12, it says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So whether you realize it or not, when you make promises and statements regarding various things that aren't fulfilled, at some point it eventually becomes a matter of integrity 
And it can even affect the amount of respect that people looking at you have for you. Amen. I remember years ago, my sister was involved with somebody and this guy was just known to just say anything. I mean, you could mention anything. Oh, I worked for this company over in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, I worked for them years ago. Oh, I went over here on vacation and I saw this site. Oh, yeah, I saw that two years ago. And then I went from there to there. And just whatever you would tell this guy, he would try to not only say I did it, too, but up the story a little further. And I, t- I used to tell people, I said, if aliens landed on the White House lawn, he would say that he introduced them and told them to go there. This man was a liar, liar, pants on fire. Whatever you say, he just had a story. But the thing is, he was saying the things all the time and lying all the time. And he might have thought that either people believe me and, wow, this is an incredible human being. Or he might have thought at times that, well, I'm just having a little fun. Nobody's taking me serious. But the fact is, after a while, people used to talk to me. They said, yo, man, what's up with your sister's boyfriend? Like, What's wrong with that dude? <laughs> and the whole time he's thinking people respect him, they started seeing him as a joke. So we see here in the Word of God, he says, Do not swear by heaven or earth or any other oath. Don't swear to God, don't swear to heaven, don't swear to earth to, to earth, don't swear on your mama's grave or any of these things that you hear people swear to. Amen. Don't swear to any of these things. God said it's very simple. Let your yea be yea. Let your nay be nay. And when you live in that, with that kind of standard, you don't have to sit there adjusting your words or did I really say that or defending things that you said in the past that you didn't really mean or making promises that you don't keep. Amen. If you just simply say, I'm not going to say it unless I mean it, then everything is smooth. And you don't have to worry about your integrity being questioned. And one of the things the Lord revealed to me about this, though, is that sometimes people speak randomly and idly, making promises, professing commitments, making statements of faith, and they think like, oh, I just said it, and then they move on immediately after saying it, and they forget about it, but they don't realize that when you made that statement, you put something out there in the spiritual atmosphere that either God's saying, I expect you to honor or you open up a door and the enemy says, oh, you said you're going to do that? All right, I'm going to attack you to stop you from doing it. And you may have said it and completely forgot about it, but the enemy said you professed it, I'm coming after you. And you're sitting there wondering, why am I under attack? Why am I being assaulted? Why is everybody messing with me? Why is my life in turmoil? What have you been saying out your mouth? What have you been saying? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I mean, there's different things that we hear about the tongue and how we use it. And God has made us creative beings, and we have to be careful about the things that we say and we pronounce. And you see cover to cover all these different examples in the Word of God where somebody came to a place and something memorial happened or memorable happened, and they say, we named this place this because it has spiritual significance. Or people like a David will say, you know, well, who is this uncircumstantized Philistine? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He made a profession before he f- defeated Goliath. But yet, somehow in this day and age, we think we could just say anything and it doesn't have any kind of implications whatsoever. But I'm here to tell you today that sometimes we're professing stuff out of our mouths that either God wants us to honor or the enemy says, because you said that, you're in my sights. So if you can't cash the check, You better watch what you're writing with your mouth. Amen?
And like I said, Peter was the one who spoke most vehemently and with pride about his inability to deny Jesus. And the thing is, the real issue on a personal level was that, first of all, he refused to accept the fact that he might have cowardice within him. Then he had arrogance because he spoke out as if he was better than everybody else. And if you really look at the story, it's no coincidence that the very person that ran his mouth was the same one that was being pointed out by multiple people. It doesn't talk about, you know, John or Thomas or all these other people. Oh, this is a guy that's with Christ. Where did the attacks all come? Peter. That guy's with Christ. He leaves that area. Hey, that's one of those Jesus followers. Everywhere he went, that's one of them. Why? Because he put his mouth out there as the one that was going to stand his ground no matter what occurred. Amen? So if it happened with Peter, isn't it possible that this could be happening to us as well? well? I love Jesus. And you tell all your unsaved friends, everybody who is around you to listen, I love Jesus, and no matter what occurs, I will always profess my love for him. I'm going to glorify his name. And now all of a sudden you're going through all kinds of trials and tribulations. And everybody around you was watching. And you don't realize behind the scenes in a spiritual manner that the same way Satan went up and says, take your hand off of Job and we'll see what he's made of. He's now done the same thing in your life because of something that you said earlier. Amen. So we have to watch what we speak. And I'm not telling us not to profess, you know, our faith in God. And not to be strong and confident. What I'm saying is we shouldn't allow our professions to be um, basically spawned out of a sense of pride or self-accomplishments. Instead, the more humble we are, the more we can be pleased in the fact and confident in the fact that our professions of God's power and authority in our lives are going to sustain us. Because in our humility and in our weakness, God makes us strong. Amen? Hallelujah. So if a man thinks himself as nothing, and professes things, God will honor your professions. But if you think you're something and start professing something, you may have to eat a few meals that you don't want to eat. And a couple bitter pills might come your way that you have to swallow. (laughs) All right, now, looking at Peter once again, he stated that, that all of them not me, all of them might be offended by Jesus, but he singled himself out as the only man who would stand and even die with Jesus. And he may not even have realized this, but he was basically making a statement about everybody around him that you're inferior and weaker in your commitment than me, than I. Amen? You know, and I'm sure he wasn't like boastfully saying, I'm better than you and you and you and you. But the reality is by singling himself out as I will die with you. It's almost like he was trying to get brownie points with Jesus Christ. Or like I said, set himself up above the others as I'm going down with you if necessary. But yeah, I don't, I don't know about the rest of his crew. They ain't quite as strong. They're not as commitment. As a matter of fact, he was the one that always came out and had something to say. So he probably was walking around on a daily basis thinking that he was at a position that was up higher than the rest of them anyway. So unfortunately, out of his mouth and the abundance of his heart, he spoke something that he was really thinking all the time. And in a sense, it was a judgment as him being 
greater than the other ones. Amen. But yet we see that once he succumbed to attack, he yielded to it and he got embarrassed. And it was this embarrassment that led to him weeping bitterly. But like I said, he basically eyed the other guys and saw himself as the only one fit to stand his ground with Jesus, even to death itself. Now, the word talks about us judging other people. We see that in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says, judge not, lest ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considered not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So like I said, Peter was basically sizing everybody up and saying, I'm going down with you, man. I'll never separate. When, they, if they, if, when and if they come to get you, I'm standing my ground. And if they have to leave me incapacitated or dead on this ground as they try to take you, that's what's going to occur because I'm never going to turn my back or leave you. And like I said, he was basically making a judgment over everybody else. But we see here that sometimes when you judge somebody inferior and say that I'm elevated above them, you find that the very thing that you saw as a weakness in them is actually inside of you. Amen? And that's why we're warned here. Jesus himself is saying, judge not that you be not judged. And he's saying that a lot of times as we're trying to isolate the inferiority in in somebody else to make ourselves feel better, A lot of times, the little things that we're trying to see in them that make us able to critique them pale in comparison to the very traits that are in us that sometimes are more pressing and more significant. Like I said, Peter really had a a, a sense of um, pride in who he was above the other disciples. He saw himself as above the rest probably be a step removed from Jesus Christ, probably even looked at himself as somebody that would lead these other guys if Jesus wasn't around. But yet we saw that, if anything, he was one of the, the weakest in terms of how he denied him three times. And matter of fact, one of the ones that who really was the strongest was probably the quietest, John the Beloved, who always laid his chest, you know, his head on his chest. If anything, this is the one who had the most resiliency. If you look at the story of Jesus' scourging and crucifixion, who was there all the time? John, the quiet one. (laughs) So just imagine that day and age. This is a man amongst a a bunch of men, fishermen, you know, carpenters, all these different trades, tax collectors, the people that were assembled around the side of Jesus. And they looked around. They probably, I imagine they probably looked at John, the one who would come and lay his head on Jesus' chest and like, what's wrong with him? He's soft. He's a sissy. Look at him. <laughs> I mean, you know how we guys are in this day and age. I am not, <laughs> the only man I would be willing to lay my head on would have been my father. And I don't really remember doing that. <laughs> so for somebody, a grown man to be, not sick, not injured, to go over and lay their head on another man's chest is not the most macho of things. <laughs> Amen? And yet, 
this is the one that had the inner strength to actually stay with him throughout the entire crucifixion. Whereas Peter, judging him weaker, couldn't see once again. He saw weakness in him because of the outward appearances and how he conducted himself around Jesus, but yet couldn't see through the beam of his own pride and self-confidence. So we have to be careful that we don't have a critical spirit of others while considering ourselves flawless. And instead, look at our own selves. Yes, we might see character flaws in everybody else, but the reality is, even if we see negative traits in other people, if you're truly doing and handling the situation in spirit and truth as Jesus would have you have it, handle it, you'll operate in love and compassion when you see weaknesses in other people. You don't see it as a means to elevate your elf, yourself up and esteem yourself better than those individuals. So it's really a matter of how you look at the flaws in other people. If you're seeing yourself as better or you get some sense of joy or power or authority over those people because of the flaws that you see in them, you're not looking at it from a godly perspective. However, if you see the flaws in people and you want to see ways to help them get out of them or strengthen them, that is from the same spirit that Jesus Christ himself would have. Now, um, one of the things that really stuck out in this story, like I said, Peter wrote some checks with his mouth that he couldn't cash. And I really think he also had a sense of um, a superstar syndrome. I'm the best of the best, the cream of crop in this group. <laughs> and another phrase that came to mind as I was studying this, this uh, text scripture was that he was basically doing what we call reading his own press. Amen. In, in his mind, his corner's mind. Sometimes you see people in the media today, actors and actresses, singers, rappers, sports athletes that, as they say, read their own press. I just saw an interview earlier this week with um, T.O., Terrell Owens, and they were talking about him and Chad Ochocinco and um, the fact that this guy um, just got in, in a trouble, uh, Desmond, oh, his last name just, just lost it, for the Cowboys, uh, Des well, anyway, he was one of the Cowboys. And he said something. He got a little animated on the, on the sidelines because he wanted to get more passes. The passes weren't coming. So he got on the sideline and started yelling at the quarterback and different people. And it became this big news story. So then they go to T.O. and they ask him, well, what do you think about this and everything? And, he, and, and at one point, the interviewer actually said, didn't you actually create this situation for people to act like this? <laughs> And Tio's response was, well, you know, sometimes the cameras are zooming in and, you know, they're catching stuff and they're seeing people say stuff. And he said, yeah, I got animated and I got excited and I know it wasn't necessarily the right way, but sometimes it was, it was um, portrayed as if I was just this egomaniac that had to have things my way, which is to be debated, <laughs> when he said it really was a hunger to win. And you saw it the wrong way. I don't agree with that. I think he was an egomaniac, but that was his story. But the reality is he and, Ch and, and um, Chad Ochocinco pretty much read their own press. And even after years of success and finally getting to the place where years and years later, their skills have declined and they've been a problem with certain teams, they still think they can play, but nobody else wants them. And sadly enough, you know, I hate to say it, but sadly enough, the same thing happened with Allen Iverson. 
you know, he was a superstar in Philly for years. Then he finally went to Denver and he played. And then he went to a couple other teams. And I remember when he went to Detroit, they basically told him up front, when you come here, you will not start. We're not looking for Allen Iverson, superstar, holds the ball every play, shoots all the shots. We want somebody that comes off the bench and plays limited minutes. We're trying to build up our younger players. You okay with that? You can come. You can't handle that? You want to be a star? You can't come here. Allen Iverson, no, I'm cool, I'm cool. Comes there, acts up. <laughs> Goes to one more team after that, acts up. <laughs> I should be starting. <laughs> I ain't no bench player. I'm just keeping it real. Reading his own press. And unfortunately, his career to NBA probably ended at least three or four years before it had to. But because of the attitude of, I'm wonderful, I'm self-important, I don't have to adjust for anybody else, he was reading press that everybody else around him wasn't seeing. And it was really the same with Peter. He thought he was more than he actually was. Jesus tried to tell him the truth, and he refused to accept it until the full spread in the newspaper was in his face. You denied your savior three times, you coward, and now you have to eat it. And he cried bitterly. It actually reminded me, too, that he's not alone in that problem. We see people like that all the time. And matter of fact, as I was looking at this mindset that people have from time to time, it reminded me of an old movie that some of you may have seen. I don't know if you ever saw Sunset Boulevard. It's a black and white movie. Um, Gloria Swanson was in, and the main character um, was Nora for something, this, the article said Norma Desmond. I think it was actually Nora Desmond. And what she was was this aging actress whose years of beauty had now faded. And her career was kind of on the, the end where nobody really wanted her. But in her mind's eye, she was still gorgeous, young, incredibly beautiful. Everybody was desiring her. She's writing her own script to try to rekindle her career. And even in her estate, she lived at this fine mansion, but yet all the employers were gone except for this one guy named Max, who was her butler. He served as her butler, the doorman, the driver, the chef, the maid service. He basically did it all. So anyway, they're going through this movie, and this young um, writer who's trying to spark his career gets wind of the, the, of the fact that she wrote the script, and he reads it, and he sees it's horrible. And nobody's going to want it. But because he's trying to, like, position himself to get hookups, he kind of plays along with her. And then they get, their relationship gets greater and greater. But then he gets attracted to another woman. She tries to talk him out of it, talk the woman out of it. They won't have anything. You know, they won't hear the truth and they won't break up. And then finally, this fateful day comes where the guy's like, I've had it with her. I need to break ties. So he tells her, your script is horrible. In her fantasy, being a superstar, pulls out a gun, shoots him three times, he ends up in a pool. And one of the most famous scenes of all your old movies is when the police come to get her, she comes down the staircase, all grandiose down this, this spiral staircase, and she's just like, she's drifting down and smiling for the cameras and everything, and there's a bunch of cops down there. And then when she finally gets down towards the bottom of the step, she says, Mr. DeVille, I'm ready for my close-up. Because <laughs> she's going totally from disillusionment to delusion to now madness. The woman is totally cuckoo. 
So these cops are literally there, ready to throw cuffs on her, and she thinks she's talking to Cecil B. DeMille, the greatest you know, movie director of all time, and he, she's like, zoom in for my close-up. And the last scene of this movie is her head tilted back, her hands like this, her eyes are glazed over, and the camera like zooms in on her face before they arrest her. <laughs> but the crazy thing, though, is that this is a movie, you got to wonder how many people are living in similar fantasies. And the thing that was really important about the movie as well is that guy, Max, who was the driver and the butler and the cook and the cleaner and all that, he was actually her first husband who's helping to extend the fantasy by pretending to be her employee. So this woman was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, (laughs) Sunset Boulevard with um, Gloria Swanson. (laughs) So... Not only was the woman going further and further and further into her self-delusion, but unfortunately for her, the people around her were helping to feed it and drive her. They thought they were helping her by extending her fantasy, but they were actually literally taking her further into her madness. So we have to ask ourselves, do we have faults, you know, that we can't admit? Do we have a fantasy world that we're living in? You know, do we think that we're at a place in God or in life that is different than the reality? And are we surrounded by people that are trying to point us in the right direction and reveal the truth to us? Amen. Not in a hurtful manner, but just to help us and support us. Do we have those kind of people in our lives or do we have people surrounding us that are basically sustaining the fantasy that we're living in? And we're not saying it's wrong for us to envision things for the future and to have visions and goals. What I'm saying, though, is that we shouldn't be in a fantasy and thinking everything is okay and be at a place that's contrary to what God has for us when God wants us over in the right field and we're on the left and we're thinking everything is fine. Amen? We need to have the balance. And sometimes balance and facing reality means we have to chew on a few things that we don't necessarily want to chew on. And sometimes we have to accept some flaws in ourselves that we don't want to admit. But the great thing about that is as long as you have things that need to be improved, that means that God is still doing the work in you if you're yielding to his spirit. Amen. God still is doing the work in us. One of the things that, actually I'm not going to read it. You can write this down, 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 18. 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18. Actually, I'll read part of it. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, 
What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath of Abimeholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every man which hath not kissed him. Hallelujah. And, all right, so here, like I said, we see a superstar syndrome. Elijah, if you really look at him, he was one of the greatest prophets of all time. But he also had a big mouth again. He liked to taunt the enemy, and he liked drama. <laughs> because... We know that God told him to defeat the prophets of Baal. And, I'm, and, and we know he probably had to do the supernatural sign, miracle wonder of the bushels of water consuming the sacrifice. But all that part about, hey, is your God asleep? Maybe he's on vacation. <laughs> Did God really tell him that he had to do all that taunting? <laughs> I think a lot of that was his own personal character. Amen. And he liked to talk trash, as we say in this day and age. But the funny thing is, the man, the prophet, who liked to talk trash and torment the enemy was the same guy that as soon as a taunt came his way from Jezebel, he fled for his life. was saying that he wished for death, which he knew he didn't, because if he wanted death, he could have stayed there and Jezebel would have took care of that. But the same man that liked drama and liked taunting, when it came back his way, was the same guy that ran to try to escape it. So he couldn't dish out the same trash talking that he extended to his enemies. Now, and the thing is, not only was he, did he have a characteristic that he liked to taunt and he liked drama, but he was the kind of person that um, thought he was the only one left. And if you look through that chapter, multiple times he kept making that profession, I, even I only, am the only one left serving you guys. And God's like, I got 7,000 over here. Dude, you ain't alone. <laughs> but do we have that same kind of mentality? You know, if we're walking in righteousness around a lot of unrighteousness, I, even I, am the only one left. If people at your job, your church, your sporting organization, your family are acting up and you're the only one serving God, walking in spirit and truth and doing things righteously, do you have the mindset that I, even I, am the only one left? And God's saying, no, nope, I got three over here, five over there. 10 over there. You are not the only one left. Because I think sometimes when we try to say these sorts of things about ourselves, it's like we're putting ourselves on a pity pot. Oh, woe's me. I'm the only one left. Stroke my boo-boo guy. And God's like, no, you ain't the only one left. <laughs> There's other people going through the same stuff. So maybe if y'all join together, y'all can help overcome some of the attacks of the enemy. Or if you start, stop seeing yourself as this superstar that's all by themselves, maybe you'll open up your mind to interact with others to try to resolve some of the stuff that you're dealing with. Stop thinking that I'm the only one left because you're not. God always has some people that are willing to serve him. And like I said, 
Um, are you seeing yourself as something other than the reality? And in the case of a Peter or in the case of um, Elijah who, who went another who kept separating himself from the service and stuff and people that could have said things or, or supported him or, or mentioned things that would have brought him back to reality. No, you're not the only one left. Do you only surround yourself with people that refuse to speak up against your flaws or to clarify things or to expose you to the fact that are flaws? Or do you just isolate yourself and don't, refuse to hear that I have any imperfections whatsoever. You know, what kind of mindset do you have? Can you handle the test of scrutiny? One of the things I said, I think it was last week, are faithful or the wounds of a friend. Amen? Faithful. They might get on your nerves. You may be mad for a few days and not talk to them, but a good friend will tell you the truth even if it steps on your toes and gets on your last nerve. And you can be just as mad and angry and hang up the phone or I ain't talking to you. But guess what? A friend, when a call for assistance comes, a friend will be at your side. Amen. The kisses of an enemy, other hand, will say the right thing all the time. But when you need somebody to back you up, they're, nobody, they're nowhere to be found. Amen. Hallelujah. So are you seeing yourself as something other than the truth while everyone around you can clearly see your flaws? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You know, are you able to see the truth? Because that's the thing. People around you a lot of times see them, but are you open to people relaying them to you, exposing you to them if you're not aware of them? Or do you get angry? Because people, if they think that all you're going to do is get angry all the time when they try to express things to you that are true, and, and do it in a manner in which it's beneficial to you, they're trying to help you. They're trying to better you. But if you get angry all the time, you shut them down and unfortunately leaves you open to stumbling because the things that God would place in your life to warn you in advance, you have resisted or shut down. So do you see yourself as something other than the truth while everybody can see your flaws and refuse to accept them? You know. And here's the thing. No matter how terrible things may be, do you only see what you want to see no matter how much reality is staring you in the face? Or are you willing to accept the realities that are before you? And like we saw with the movie, do you have some poor person or persons sustaining your family because either they feel sorry for you or are too scared to tell you the truth? Max, in the movie I mentioned, felt sorry for her. He had compassion. Little did he know that the compassion and years and years of devotion as a servant to her would help lead her further into her madness and becoming a murderer. You know, the other guy, the reporter who got killed, he saw, he knew from the first minute that she was an old, aging starlet that nobody wanted, but he tried to use her to his own advantage, and he didn't know that helping to sustain the fantasy would lead to his own death. So you had two people from different angles, one to help that kept the fantasy going and one that wanted to use and manipulate that sustained the family. Both ended up with a tragic result. Amen. A murder and a person that was in madness. But we see this as something that's happened in everyday life as well. Amen. As you look on the news, you see different things going on. There's a lot of people living in fantasy worlds. Amen. And we can't necessarily reach them all. 
and have an audience with all of them, but the people that are surrounding us, those, those that we love and care about, those should be the ones that we can approach, amen? It's a two-sided equation. We should be able to approach them to point out things that can improve their lives, but on the other side, we need to be open and approachable that people can come to us to share our flaws as well. But at the end of the day, God allows us to grow and to become better, better servants and better people if we're open to that. Amen. So it's our choice whether we want to live in this fantasy where nothing needs to be changed or if we want to be open to things that can be improved in our lives. Now, in terms of Peter, unfortunately, it required exposure to the truth for him to face his true self. You know, it's pretty bad when the Lord of glory himself is trying to share to dude. You got issues, man. I know you love me. You've been diligent. You've been a faithful servant. Hey, when I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, you're the one of the guys I took aside as my inner circle to support me in prayer before I had to be sacrificed. So, yes, you're a great man. You're a powerful servant. You've been trustworthy and diligent and committed, and I know you love me. But I still see there's this flaw in you that will sell me out. And Jesus loved him enough to try to tell him the truth, but yet Peter refused to see it. And once again, this is the same Peter was at his side closely that saw him cast out demons, saw him heal sick bodies, saw him walk across water, <laughs> defying the laws of physics. He walked across water. <laughs> and yet Peter says, mm, can't, I'm not hearing you, dude. You can say it all you want, Jesus, but no, I'll never deny you. So for the first time, Peter is basically telling Jesus, you're wrong, if you think about it. I'll never sell you out. I'll never betray you or deny you. But we saw it was true. And like I said, unfortunately, it required exposure to the truth and tears of bitterness for Peter to accept the reality. And we see the exact warning in Luke 22 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And the reason I'm reading this one is that it's slightly different in terms of what it's presenting to us. Jesus, we see here, is warning him, Satan has desired to have you. That word desired in the underlying Greek means to demand to put to trial. So all those servants, Satan was watching them, trying to undermine his ministry, trying to destroy Jesus Christ. And as he was observing Jesus Christ and saying, I'm trying to kill this guy because I know there's something special about him. I'm going to try to destroy him. In the midst of that group, he said, wait a minute, there's that one, too, that always run his mouth. So he went to God and said, I want to put this guy to trial. I want to test him to see what he's made of. And Jesus tried to warn him, saying, hey, Satan wants to put you to the test. He wants to challenge you. He wants to show what's really inside of you. But yet, he couldn't hear it. And then it says here that Jesus warned him, Satan not only wants to demand that you be put to trial or be put to the test, but Satan wants to sift you as wheat. That word sift means to riddle with blows. He's like, I want to beat Peter up. 
He got a lot of mouth. I want to get him. You ever have times in life where somebody just keeps running their mouth and you just like, I want to pummel them because they just won't shut up? Satan was looking at Peter and said, I want, to see, I want to riddle this guy with blows. He got a big mouth. I want to get in the boxing ring and see what this guy's made of. Talking all that trash, I want to see what he's made of. So he wanted to riddle him with blows. In other words, he wanted to strike him with a continual barrage to the point that he was unable to defend himself or counterattack. You know, you've seen that in boxing sometimes, where, or MMA. You see times where a boxer's in the ring and the referee suddenly has to jump in and push the, the, the winner out of the way and say, look, you know, he, puts a, he put his body between one opponent and the other because it gets to the point where the one, the challenger or the person's losing might still be in the ring. They may even be standing on their feet. And there's times where they actually be pinned up against the ropes and the other guy's got them on the ropes just pummeling them. And the person can't even fall down. They're being hit so hard. Amen? So that's basically the situation that Satan wanted to put Peter in. Jesus tried to warn him, but he didn't hear it. So because of that, Satan got to barrage him with the eventual attack that truly exposed him for what he was made of. A man that had pride, a man who talked a lot of stuff that he couldn't back up, and a man that now, you know, had revealed that his character was flawed. He, he swore, he cursed, and now he's weeping there bitterly. So he refused to hear the warnings of Jesus. He refused to admit that he had any weaknesses, and he thought that his bold speech matched his inner strength. Amen? <laughs> Ever see people like that? They profess something outwardly or through their lips, but you know it's only lip service and what's inside or what's in their mind really isn't genuine or doesn't match up with the level of what is coming out of their mouth. You know, back in the Old West, they should say, uh, the, the Native Americans should say, well, they say about a certain group, but they say, speak with a forked tongue. <laughs> you speak in one thing, but the truth is in the other direction. And that's what Peter did. So Satan, the accuser of the brethren, perceived that he had hypocrisy to, in him that he wanted to put to the test the same way he challenged the integrity of Job. And when he was able to put him to test, it was revealed that there was a certain level of cowardice within him. But one thing that I want to close with that is really a blessing and just shows us how much God loves us is in John chapter 21. So we saw that Peter finally got exposed to who he really was. He finally had to look at himself and say, there was some compromise in me. And it was something that jarred his spirit. It was something that wounded him terribly. You know, it hurt him so much to his core that it said he wept bitterly. And that's hard when you have to face those sort of things. And none of us ever wants to have to face that something so ugly or so weak could possibly be inside of us. But yet, he had to deal with it face on. He couldn't hide anymore. He couldn't dodge it. He couldn't pretend it wasn't there. Jesus, you know, the, the situation led to him being fully exposed to it in such a way that he couldn't dodge it anymore. He had to stare it right in the eye. And that might be something that we had to face from time to time. And it's ugly. And it might lead you to tears as well. But thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ that we see in John chapter 21. Looking at verses 12 through 19. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. 
And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joseph, Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Praise the Lord. Did I go the whole way? Oh. oh, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by why, what death he should glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Praise the Lord. All right, so we see here, and this is, Shows you how much God loves us, even when we don't want to face the reality of ourselves, even when it's exposed, and even when we, you know, are wrecked by what we have to face in ourselves. We see the compassion and love of Jesus. And that's the fact that when we face our true selves and any weaknesses that we don't want to deal with for whatever reason, Jesus will restore us from our failures. And that's such a blessing. We see here that the same man who denied him three times. Jesus now comes to him and says, do you love me three times? And (laughs) the funny thing about that is like the same number of times that he denied him, it's the same number of times that Jesus posed the question, do you love me? And not only did he say, do you love me? He had him answer three times, but after he answered it three times, he says, feed my sheep. In other words, he's showing him, you denied me three times, but I'm having you now reverse what you said in denying me three times by professing that you love me three times. But then also, not only do I have you reverse the mistake that you made three times, you know, the exact number of times, but with that confession, I now bring you restoration by pronouncing over your life, go back and do what I called you to do in the first place. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And one of the things you really catch here is that Peter was grieved because of the number of times he asked the question. Because it's hard for you to go back and face the great mistakes you did. But Jesus Christ wasn't trying to make him embarrassed by going back to relive the three failures. He's making him go back and deal with the three failures so that the shame would be totally lifted out of his life. By facing it head on, dealing with it, now pronouncing that I denied you three times, now I'm professing that I love you three times, and then Jesus pronouncing over him, Go and feed my sheep three times. I've reassigned you. I've restored you back to the calling that you had on your life. So you probably went from somebody that says, I'll never be able to serve him again because I've messed up. At the most pivotal of times, the times that Jesus Christ needed me the most, I turned my back on him and I denied him like a coward. But now Jesus is saying, you're back on the job. I fully restored you. I love you. I know you love me. 
I'm basically healing you, but letting you reannounce how I know you feel about me. Amen. And now I'm putting you back on the playing field. Go back out and commit to your call. Go back out and preach my word. And see, the thing that's really glorious about this story, too, is when, John, when Peter first saw Jesus on the shore and they said, that is Jesus. That crazy Peter, who always was the first one jumping out, the first one running his mouth, he was literally sitting on a boat, naked fishing, threw a towel around his waist, dove into the water, and swam to shore. So he still had that same level of fire. It just had to be put back out on God's playing field so he could be used for his honor and glory. And one thing, though, one thing we see here, though, Jesus fully restored him, but sometimes we say stuff, not knowing what we mean, and we still have to live it out. Because if you see in our text scripture, Peter said, if necessary, I will go die with you. He didn't do it that day, but when Peter died, he got executed on the cross. So Peter still went to the cross. Now, he did it differently. He didn't feel that he was worthy to die the same way as Jesus, so he actually requested at his crucifixion, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be upright like my Lord, so flip me upside down. So Paul was crucified head down instead of upright, but he still went to the cross. So <laughs> it's a good thing. We might still fulfill the call, but you still got to be kind of careful what you're saying because Peter said, I'm willing to die for you. He literally died for him. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. But the great thing is that God still sees potential in us God still sees um, a call in our lives, and God will fully restore us despite our flaws, even if, as long as we're willing to face them. As long as we're ducking and dodging them, God can't heal us from them. God can't deliver us from, from them. Amen? But if we truly open ourselves up, God can not only minister to us and move us on to glory and, and to greater things in ministry, but we can avoid any cycles of having to be exposed and brought to shame over them. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. And if you um, need prayer in regard to anything, uh, feel free to come forward. Amen. I'm just going to do a, uh, a prayer over everybody in general. But if you need special prayer, uh, feel free to come forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory honor and praise for everything you're doing in our lives. And Jesus, we just thank you and praise you, Father, that um, you be glorified in each one of our lives. We praise you, Father, if there's anything in us, Father, that has um, been a form of compromise. If we've spoken things, Father, that were spoken lightly, or if we fail to commit to certain things that we promised unto you, Lord, we praise you even now, Father, that you reveal those things to us. We thank you, Father, that even as you reveal to us any character flaws or any wounds that we've experienced over the years that have prevented us from walking in the level of authority and power that you have deemed and destined for our lives, we thank and praise you, Father, that you reveal those things to us in prayer or through your word and by your spirit, Lord. We praise you, Father, that it's not a bad thing for us to expose and deal with those things, but, Father, that's part of the, the cycle of us being perfected in you. So we just praise and thank you, Father, that... 
Hallelujah. You love us. You foreknew us. Father, we thank you that according to your word, even on the hair, the hair on our heads is numbered. So we know, Father, that we are precious in your sight. And, Father, um, there may be times that we've stumbled or even fallen after we've um, accepted you as Lord and Savior. But we praise and thank you, Father, that the same way you restored your servant Peter, you're willing to restore each one of us. So we just praise you for that right now. We bend our knee to you, Lord. We praise and thank you, Father, that you will reveal to us any areas in which we are not perfected and we need to be groomed or molded, refined in you. And we just praise you, Father, as we will humble our hearts, Father, and truly examine ourselves and deal with any of these issues, Lord. We praise and thank you, Father, for continued growth and maturity and strengthen you. We also praise you, Father, that the things that you're doing in us to mold and refine us not only enable us to live a stable life, but they also give us the capacity to go out and minister to others in need. So we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We just thank you, Father, that you be glorified in our lives, in us and through us. And we thank you, Father, for um, everything that you're doing. And right now, Father, we just praise and thank you for the prayer requests that we lifted up early today. We praise and thank you, Father, that you continue to touch, hallelujah, all your people on, on sick beds, Father, today. Touch it from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. We praise and thank you, Father, that any of us are suffering from any kind of ailments, Lord, that you would touch us and heal us right now by your power your spirit. We praise and thank you, Father, for peace in mind. We thank you for wisdom, Father, for those who are seeking insight from on high. And we just praise and thank you, Father, that you be glorified in each and, one, each and every one of us. Lord, even as we would prepare to head home. We thank you, Father, for having your hand of protection upon our homes, upon our automobiles, upon every aspect of our lives. Lord, that you would bless us and extend us, expand the boundaries of our habitation. And Father, everywhere we go, enable us, Father, to touch and impact people for the cause of Christ. We just thank you and give you the glory, honor, and praise for these things, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.